So today I'm going to be covering a difficult topic. And the title of today's message is going to describe it. Choosing the painful will of God. And the scriptures we're going to be covering that we saw in the video there are John 12, 23 through 36. And today's message is going to take a little bit of build-up before we get to the meat of these scriptures that we're focusing on. But please bear with me because it's foundational to where I believe God is taking us as a church, not necessarily Cooley Community Church here in Whitehall, but as a church worldwide. But don't worry, it won't take that long. The Bears don't play, or Packers and Bears don't play until 7.20 tonight, so we have plenty of time to get through this message. Now, if I were to start out this morning by saying that we were blessed, what would that mean to you? If, God, if you were saying, God is blessing me, what would that mean to you? For some people, it would be saying, well, I have food, I have a house, I have somewhere to live. Maybe I even have a few toys and things I, I like to do. Maybe it's hunting or fishing or, or quilting or, or just different things like that. And I have a little bit of extra money in the bank, so I consider myself to be a blessed person. Maybe you have a career that you really love. You can't wait to go to work on Monday morning or Monday afternoon or whenever you work because you love your career so much. Maybe it would mean that you're, health, you're healthy and happy and the loved ones closest to you are healthy and happy. Understanding God's blessing in those terms is not necessarily a bad thing. However, life isn't always about those kind of blessings. Living life means that sometimes we have to go through the valley. Sometimes it means even growing, becoming familiar with the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us in the past or currently or maybe in the future, may undergo times of just unspeakable tragedy, unspeakable loss, unrelenting pain, just great obstacles in life. And it's during those times that we say, God, how come you're taking your blessing away from me? And why is that? Why, why does, does God allow that to come into our life? And especially for us here in America, I think it has to do with the American church's mindset regarding what being blessed means. It's an interesting dilemma we face because our mindset is actually more similar to that of those first century Pharisees than what the Bible actually tells us. The first century Pharisees who were listening to Jesus speak there had the mindset that if you do A, B, and C, if you have all your spiritual checkboxes done, then God has to bless you. He doesn't have a choice. It's almost like you have him in a, in a chokehold and he has to, to bless you. You ever heard a preacher say that on TV? It's like, if you send me money, you're going to be blessed. I got God in a chokehold and he's going to bless you. I've heard TV preachers say things like that. An example of this, in the year 2000, there was a book that became the fastest selling book of all times. It was called The Prayer of Jabez. Christians from all over the world, and particularly those here in America, grabbed it up off the shelf and they gobbled up the teaching of begging God for blessing and never knowing pain. If you don't know who Jabez was, he's a guy in the Old Testament. He prayed to God that God would bless him in largest territory and keep him from pain. And it says that God granted him that request. And, and Bruce Wilkerson wrote an entire book around that. In my opinion, this idea 
which was spread by this book and many other self-help books that came out about the same time that were described as or disguised, excuse me, as Christian writings, did more to weaken the church than anything else. And you'll notice around that time the church began to lose its prophetic voice to the nation. And entertainment became their substitute for actually going to God in prayer and actually seeking God. You also notice an increase of Hollywood boldly putting out shows mocking Christians and their religion and gleefully covering things like the priest abuse scandals as if it were the norm. I think in its scramble to strengthen its authority, the mainstream church denominations in particular turned into champion social and political causes to try to make themselves relevant again. But when they did that, they continued to lose more and more of their prophetic voice and influence over the culture. And there we are here today, that we've sown the wind of appeasing the modern culture, and now we're reaping the whirlwind of irrelevance to the new generation of Americans. Just this morning I read a Pew Research survey that they put out a study of 80 or people who are 18 to 30 years old and why they left and why they left the church. The reason is they don't believe in God anymore. Science has disproven God, their educational system has disproven God and that the message of the church simply isn't relevant anymore. We lost them because we told them that God is only a God of blessing. And when they hit a difficult time and God didn't seem to come through, poof, there went their faith. It went right out the window. Therefore, in 2018, we're actually beginning to witness the death of the Christian church here in America. America is rapidly, and actually I would just say is, become a post-Christian nation. It's happening even faster here in the north than it is in the south, but it's still coming to where we are completely a post-Christian nation. Now you might ask, why am I starting off our time here on Sunday with such a cheery message and a cheery note? And you're thinking, gosh, I'm so glad I came here to church on Sunday morning. I came here to get energized and blessed, and now I'm here to, to I'm getting more and more depressed. That's not what I'm, I'm trying to do this morning. There have been many in the church throughout the different denominations that have been trained for a religious revival to come to this nation. That's good, and I think it shows God's faithfulness. God always preserves a remnant church. In other words, all these other people can go to the side, but God will always preserve that remnant church to be ready to move when he decides to um, bring back revival to, a, to an area or a nation. And many of these intercessors are praying for the return of first century Christianity to not only America, but to the entire world. And when we read the book of Acts, we see the marvelous things that the first church did. We see the miracles. We see believers spreading the name of Jesus Christ. And throughout their entire world, they walked to tell people about Jesus. But what we gloss over is the fact that most of them became martyrs to do it. And when we watch the video of John chapter 12 today, there seemed to be a moment in the beginning where you saw Jesus just kind of stumble and bow his head, seemingly to acknowledging from his Father that his time on earth was drawing to a close. 
Jesus is knowing he's preparing to enter into the Passion Week, that week that, that came right before he was crucified. And Jesus bows his head at that point and accepts the painful will of God for his life. And as we go through the message today, I, I encourage you, jot down some notes, share them with others, because many of us will be faced in the very near future with the same choice as Jesus. And yes, Jesus had a choice. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He had free will. He could have looked at the, at the cross and everything that went with it, the scourging, the beating, the crucifixion, and the death, and said no. You remember, he spent his last night on earth praying that God would take it away from him. He didn't want to go there either. He knew what that was going to mean. But fortunately, Jesus chose the painful will of God. He chose the narrow road. He chose that painful will of God to bring us into his kingdom. Sometimes the road that God is leading us down may involve pain. It's a biblical truth that isn't taught very much anymore, but you can't honestly read the Bible and come up with a different idea. You can't read the lives of others who went before us and not see that God led them through times of pain and suffering. If you have only a superficial mentality of, of God being a blessing God, then you'll never know the true riches of God's grace and presence like those who chose to hold on to God's hand no matter what path He led them down. In those seasons, you have a choice. God's road or the easy road. But remember what Jesus said about the easy route. In Matthew 7.13, he said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So this morning, we're going to look at this idea of choosing the painful will of God. And all that was preparing to actually get into the meat of the, the, the message, which we'll do right now. I just want to open in prayer first. Father God, I know that this is a hard teaching. I know this is something that our flesh, our intellect, and everything within us, we don't even want to hear this kind of message. We want to reject it. We want to look at you as only a God of blessing and love. But sometimes that greatest blessing and greatest love is to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death. And Father, I ask, Lord, as we continue in this message, you'll make it abundantly clear the reasons that you are doing it. And, there, and at the end of the day, we can say, Amen, let it be so, Lord. Let Jesus be glorified in my life. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. So there's a few principles that the Bible shows us about choosing the painful will of God. And the first one is this. God typically doesn't launch us immediately into the deep end of anything before preparing us for it. So the first thing we're going to look at is the preparation. We see that in John 12, 23, where it says that Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Everybody here in their life has gone through some tough times. 
Every person here has just gone through gut-wrenching, horrible, painful times that they don't even want to talk about, much less repeat. Some people have faced divorce. Some people have, have faced children walking away from God in the church. Some people have even had children who have died before their time. You've lost jobs. You've lost homes. You've lost all kinds of things in your life. And now you're, you're, you're kind of looking at God and saying, God, where, where are you? Where, where are you? And it seems that everything is dark. Where are you, God? Some of us have even made sinful choices. And that has caused us to go through some very dark seasons. And if most of us were to look back on our lives with a 2020 vision, most of us wouldn't want to go through those dark times again. Personally, you know, sometimes I'm just sitting around thinking I'm in the back of an ambulance and we're, we're going back to, to Black River Falls and it may be an hour or two that we're driving back and I'm back there all by myself. And you just start thinking, your mind starts wandering, you start thinking about the past. And I'm just wishing that, that God could somehow take a pair of scissors and chop certain part of my life's life back right out of there and just blot them out of the book of remembrance because I don't want to remember them. I don't want God to remember them for sure and I don't want the enemy to try to use it against me anymore. However, there's some great truth in the, truths in the Bible about how God uses everything in our lives to shape us into the person that he wants us to be. You might ask, how could God use our mess-ups? How could God use our, our sin, our selfishness, our lust, our greed, our ugliness for His glory? How could God, a holy God, even touch that, use that, or do have anything to do with that? Let me give you a little bit of biblical perspective on this. What's the Bible say about humanity's creation? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 2.7 it says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Let me summarize that in the 21st century speak. You and I ain't nothing but dirt. We're nothing but formed dirt that God blew into. In the first two chapters of Genesis the Bible is very clear that God formed all humanity out of the dust of the earth. In other words, you're a spirit surrounded by dirt. God even doubles down on that later in the Bible when God describes what happens to our body and our spirits at death. It says that the dust, our bodies, return to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. My point here is that if God is going to use you and me, he's already just working with dirt. If God can take dirt and make it walk and talk and live a life, then God can use whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever sin, addiction, or challenge to, that you have messed up in the past and use it for His glory. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans 8.28 that we know in all things? Did it say some things? Does it say one or two things? No, it says all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, I'm not saying go sin and God's going to use it. Please, please, under, please hear me. I'm not saying that God's winking at your sin. I'm not saying that God is approving of your sin. I'm just saying that God can use anything and use it for His glory. I'm speaking of past sins and mistakes. Your past does not disqualify you from the future that God has from you. 
That's a glory, one of the glorious messages of the cross. And some of you may look back on your past or your present and ask God, why? why what's up with all this pain, God? What's up with that, with that death at a critical point in my life? What was the person or the purpose behind that rejection at that point in my life where I got so depressed and it almost drove, drove me to suicide? Why did you make me go through that? Why am I going through this current struggle that I'm, I begged you and pleaded with you and I fasted and, and prayed and for you to take it away and it's still here? Why? Why, God? Because God is using it to prepare you. Your Father God is a master potter. And He's going to use it to shape you into the masterpiece that He has in mind. In all things... God works for the good for those who love Him. Say that. All things. All things. This period we're in now is going to culminate in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming soon. In Matthew 25, Jesus is describing what these last days will look like and the reason that He is delaying. He uses the illustration of a wedding. And he says that this time is the bridal preparation time. And this is where you and I have to understand the Bible and the context and the culture in, when it, when it, in which it was written and who it was written to. In Jesus' time, when a man asked a woman to marry him, there's an engagement party. The bridegroom then would leave and would not see the bride for an extended period of time as he went and prepared a home and business for his to take care of his new bride. Before he came to get the bride, the bride's father would go and inspect the new home to make sure that his daughter was going to be able to live there and be provided for, and then declare it to be ready. And then they would both come back and get the bride. And that was the clue to the bride that the bridegroom was poised to return. And that's what's happening in heaven right now. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Our part in this is to recognize that this is the time we're living in and to make ourselves ready. During this time when the groom was away preparing a place for his bride, the bride would put herself through all kinds of different beauty treatments so that on her wedding night she could present to her, herself as a radiant bride. Choosing the painful will of God is our beauty treatment. We're the bride of Christ, and the Bible specifically says that the rapture generation will be as a bride who has made herself ready. In Revelation 19.7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That is the hallmark of the rapture generation, is that you are a bride that is making yourself ready. In all things, God is working out His purpose. That means every pain you're experiencing right now, God is using it to try to purge you of any fear, doubt, or unbelief, or any spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Because God wants to present you as a radiant and spotless bride to His Son, Jesus. That's the purpose of the preparation. Now let's look at the choice. Jesus had a choice in verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. 
It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. One of my favorite fictional books is the Lord of the Rings series by J.R.R. Tolkien. If you don't know who J.R.R. Tolkien was, he's actually the man who led the famous Christian apologist and author C.S. Lewis to faith in Jesus. He was a Christian man. He wrote the Lord of the Rings actually came out to be a, uh, a bedtime story for his uh, grandchildren. And a lot of people think it's a Christian allegory. He said it wasn't, but you can see a lot of it in there. In that book, the main character's name is Frodo. Frodo comes into possession of something called the Ring of Power. The Ring of Power is what gives the evil being within this world named Sauron his power. And if Sauron gets his hands on this ring, he's going to be able to cover the entire earth in evil. And in a very memorable scene, Frodo is complaining to the wizard Gandalf, and he says, I wish that this ring had never come to me. I wish that, that I had never been called to this. I wish that none of this had happened in my time. Why does this have to happen to me? And it kind of sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? When we ask God, God, why is all this bad stuff happening to us? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through this isolation? Why am I going through this, this time where it just seems everything is dark and I can't see a single prick of light anywhere? The wizard Gandalf actually gives an awesome reply. Gandalf said, so do I, and so do others who live to see such times. But it is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Our modern church and the people in the modern church are facing a crisis of decision right now. The choice we are facing is the same one that every human being has had since the beginning of time. The only difference is, is now the stakes are getting higher. We are entering into a time right now that hasn't been seen since the first century. In the very near future, confessing Jesus Christ as your God may cost you. We've already seen where people have been fined for standing up for their religious ideals. We've already seen where people have been ostracized. We've already seen where people have been made fun of. We've already seen where people have been picketed and, and had things thrown through windows and destruction of property and even jailed for standing for the name of Jesus Christ. If God holds back the rapture much longer, this world will continue to plummet for the time described in the book of Revelation. And it may even someday cost you your head. Hopefully Jesus comes and takes us away before that, but it could happen in our time. We will definitely be chose or forced to choose between compromise and that painful will of God. And I don't say this to frighten you. I don't say this to depress you. I don't say this to, to darken your gaze in any way. I say it to prepare you. And I say it to help you to put the suffering of your past into a better context than what you have, have had it in before. It's something that God has led you through and has used it to shape you into the person He wants you to become to be. It's part of your bridal preparation. Just like any other modern bride in this country, you have a right to say no to the marriage. We don't believe in forced and, and, and prescribed marriages in this, or arranged marriages in this country. You can, you can refuse. But if you do refuse the painful will of God during this time, you're going to be in danger of falling away. 
You're going to be in danger of missing out on the rapture and not being able to participate in that marriage supper of the Lamb. Choosing the painful will of God is about the third point, and that is the death of self. In Matthew 20, or 12, 24-26, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus, in speaking to the crowd, uses an agricultural example that anyone who was there listening would understand its purpose on this earth. And the only way that God can get the most benefit and the most glory out of you and I are when we choose to die to ourselves. Let me illustrate this a little bit more in, in our uh, example of the bridal preparation. There's a huge difference between how ancient people would show off a bride's beauty and how we show off a bride's beauty today. In today's world, we use makeup to cover up all those imperfections, to highlight the, the good, you know, the eyes, or, or bring out maybe the, the, the tracing of their lips or, or everything. We, we cover everything up with a whole bunch of paint. But in the ancient world, in Jesus' time, they did the exact opposite. They would strip away anything that was considered to be an imperfection until the bride's natural beauty shone through. If you remember from the book of Esther, Esther was already a beautiful woman, one of the most beautiful women in the land, yet she still went through an entire year of beauty treatments. Some of those treatments were painful. Some of them had to be involved with exfoliating. Some of them had to almost take layers of skin off of her face and body to, to bring out the natural beauty of the skin underneath. But it was all to strip away all the imperfections which remained. And that is what choosing the painful will of God does for us. Is it strips away our imperfections. So that what is underneath or what is inside of us, which should be Jesus Christ, shines through even more. It's the death of self. And that's why Jesus compares it to a kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying as being the only way that true growth happens. Because then and only then will we receive the reward of harvest. In verse 24, Jesus said, But if that kernel dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Or anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is very specific here, and he does not mince words. The only way for the, us to grow, our families to grow, or our church to grow is through the death of self. I have never seen a church split because too many people want to be like Jesus. I have never seen a family break up because they were showing all the attributes of love way too much within that family. 
I have never seen a ministry blow up because someone was showing too much Christ-likeness. The limiting factor is always this. Someone is holding on too tightly to their own rights, their own opinions, and their own prerogatives. And that is the complete opposite of what Jesus has called us to be and what Jesus has called us to do. Our Lord told us to count the cost and pick up our cross and follow Him. Jesus came to this earth to die. Shouldn't His followers be willing to do the same? Because it's then and only then will we see a harvest. It's then and only then that we can be the good workmen who are called to God's field of grace. So I would ask you today as our... <clears throat> as the ushers come and prepare to serve communion. Will you choose the painful will of God for you if it means that others can be saved? Will you do it to just simply for the fact that it will make you more beautiful to Jesus? I want you to consider these questions as we pass out our elements for communion this morning. Communion represents Jesus coming and dying for us. And I would ask that you be in prayer. Be in prayer that if there's something in your life that needs to be put to death, that you will follow Jesus to the cross and let it die there.